0: First Corinthians chapter 13 is, is where we're sitting as Paul is in the midst... describing to the Corinthian Christians uh, the way they are to behave. They have these miraculous spiritual gifts but what Paul has instructed at the end of chapter 12 is that there is a better way and that love then is the more excellent way and that without love all that they are doing is nothing before God that they have gained nothing before God if love is not the motivation and we learned last week that uh, how we act before God and the motives behind our service the motives behind the things that we do matter so much to God and so here is Paul now trying to teach that to them and now in this section you have a description of the the necessity of love and why is it so important why would love be the more excellent way rather than the spiritual gifts that they are arguing over and trying to determine well we think tongues are better or prophecy is better. And Paul has come in and said none of them are better. Love is the better way to go. So why is that the case? You'll notice as was read for us a moment ago, uh, from verse eighteen to to verse, uh, me, from verse eight to verse thirteen, you have this description simply to point out that love is important because it doesn't end. That's how verse eight begins. After this long description of love from verse one to verse seven, which useful for marriages, useful for families, and all that, but the primary point is this: is how the congregation is to behave. Love is of the uh, most and that is what is to be practiced between Christians and here is the ultimate reason why love is superior this is something that will not end in contrast to the rest of the spiritual gifts that he says in verse 8 those are going to end he says in verse 8 as for prophecies they're going to pass away as for tongues they will cease as for knowledge it will pass away I think it's interesting those three are particularly noted especially because in our society, as we've talked about, it seems two of those are of particular importance. Uh, People today really key in on speaking in tongues or of having prophecy. And so here Paul notes and says, these things are going to pass away. And the argument that he's presenting is, so you need to stop arguing over them. Stop having a competition over which gift you think is better, because all of those spiritual gifts are going to pass away. They're going to be set aside at a particular point. Now, verses 9 and 10 are the explanation of that. You'll notice that in the the very first sentence of verse 9 where he says, "...for..." So I'm going to explain to you why love is superior and how these gifts are going to pass away. Notice it in verse 9. "...for we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes..." The partial will pass away. There's the explanation that he gives. And that's what we need to go and break down and figure out. Okay, well, what is the perfect? And what is the partial that he's talking about here? He says, okay, here's what's going to happen. Prophecies and tongues and knowledge. All of these spiritual gifts are going to stop. And the reason why is because the perfect is going to come. And when the perfect comes, the partial is going to pass away. That's his explanation. So the sermon's done. Let's go home. Well... What exactly is that talking about? Because he's giving a time marker and saying, okay, now here's when you know all that's going to stop. So we need to then figure out what is he teaching these Corinthians? He shows us pretty clearly in verse 9 and 10 what the part or the partial is. That's these spiritual gifts. He says it right there. We know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the part, I'd be literal, the part, the partial, will pass away. So these gifts are considered. Considered a part or a partial. Why would he call it that? I think that's where we need to start for a moment. Why would he say miraculous spiritual gifts, the gift of tongues, the gift of knowledge, gift of healing, gift of prophecy, all of that listing that we read in chapter 12, why is that called part or partial? And I think the, the most obvious conclusion is, is because that is the way God is revealing is in these Partial revelations. He's revealing the new covenant. He's revealing his mind through these Christians, through the apostles, through those who have these miraculous spiritual gifts, through some with prophecy, through some with tongue speaking, through some with knowledge, through some with all of these various gifts. This is how information is being given about the new covenant of Christ. Put yourself there in the first century for a moment. Could you open your Scriptures and unroll a scroll, there you stand in about 54 AD, to the Gospel of Mark and learn all of Jesus' teachings about what He says about how to behave as a Christian? No. No, you could unroll your scroll to 1 Corinthians and you could read that. (laughs) That's what you're going to have at the moment. You have the will of God being revealed in part. And so you have it in prophecy, a part. And in tongue, there's a part. And in all these various gifts, part of these things are being given. And that's why I think he uses that illustration of a partial. Because this is what they have at that moment. We know in part. We're getting prophecies in part. We're using these gifts that are giving us this partial information about God. Now what's interesting is then he says, but when the perfect comes. That's now we need to zero in on is so what is he talking about? Because when he says, when the perfect exists, when the perfect arrives, he says, These partial things are now going to pass away, they're going to be set aside. Now, the popular understanding of this is to understand the part, or excuse me, the perfect, to be a reference to Jesus because He's perfect. And you'll notice that in verse 12, it says we're going to see Him face to face. And so here's when the miraculous spiritual gifts are going to end. When Christ comes, He's the perfect, and at the second coming, we'll see Him face to face, and then all these miraculous spiritual gifts will end. It's pretty... Majority view, and I understand why that's done. But we're going to slow down a second and move ourselves carefully over the text and see if that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying. Before we do that, I just want to observe why a lot of reasons why I don't think that can at all be what Paul is saying. First of all, I would just simply make the point. That that is a statement of the obvious. To, for the Apostle Paul to say, don't argue over spiritual gifts because one day when Christ returns, all the miraculous gifts are going to be gone. Isn't really helpful to the, dis- the discussion. Yeah. So for the next thousand years, don't argue over, because one day it's all going to be gone anyway, thousands of years from now. Well, that's not terribly useful to the argument. It's a statement of the obvious. Well, of course the spiritual gifts are going to be gone at the second coming of Christ. We're not going to need those things. That doesn't seem to be useful. Quite along with that, it's a really a pointless conclusion. Is to say, well, until Christ comes... We're all just going to know partially, but one day we'll all know a whole lot and we'll all fully know. Again, no kidding. Uh, won't that be great? I mean, we talk about that. It will be there, we'll see God, and okay. All our supposed questions may, might be answered now. But that doesn't advance the argument any to the Corinthians to say, okay, here, stop arguing over your gifts because whenever the second coming is, then you'll fully know and the gifts will be gone. Not terribly helpful let me give you a really big reason in the text why that can't be. Is he says in verse 13, there are three things that remain. Faith, hope, and love. And the scriptures are very clear. That when Christ comes, there's no need for faith or hope. There is no hope once Christ comes back. What are you hoping for? And that's the whole argument that Paul makes in Romans chapter 8. Is Once it's come, there's nothing to hope for. And the kids don't hope for Christmas the day after Christmas. It came. Here it is. They might hope for it 364 days later. But the hope has now been revealed. There's nothing to hope for now. It's arrived. The same thing with faith. You're not going to have faith. There's no need for faith uh, in the things that are seen, as the writer of, of, the Hebrew, of Hebrews would say. Notice he speaks in a sense that says, after these gifts are gone, when the partial has disappeared, there's three things that will remain faith, hope, and love. And it doesn't make any sense to say, okay, so after the partial is gone, which is the second coming of Christ, there's still going to remain faith. What? We don't need faith. We're there. Faith is over. And there's still going to remain hope. Well, we don't need hope either. We're there. We got it. It's Christmas Day. That's what we've been waiting for. It's all good. Faith and hope are not going to remain. Not at all. So it doesn't make any sense for the Apostle Paul to be saying, Second coming of Christ, but faith, hope, and love will still exist. Faith, hope, and hope are not going to exist. And the writer of Hebrews and the Apostle Paul make that abundantly clear that faith and hope will be set aside. Now what typically happens is, but look at verse 12. Verse 12 says that we're going to see God face to face. And if since we haven't seen God face to face, Therefore, the gifts still remain. I can't tell you how many books I've picked up that this is the line of thinking is verse 12. Well, until we see God face to face, then gifts have to remain. Would you please read verse 12 carefully and tell me if that's what it says, that when you see God face to face, that's what we're all waiting for. It doesn't say that we're talking about seeing God face to face in verse 12. That is a massive assumption to verse 12. It doesn't say we're looking for God. And we're going to talk about what that means in in just a minute. But notice what he just simply is contrasting. He is saying right now, we see in a mirror, like in a mirror that is dimly. But then we will see face to face, not talking about God, but talking about a contrast of clarity. Okay. Now for us, even that doesn't make a lot of sense. Because when you look in the mirror, can you see pretty clearly? Too clearly, right? You know, not, not so good. Yeah. Uh, back then, you didn't have glass as a mirror. That's not the way mirrors were. You had a metal object and you could see vaguely, dimly your reflection. You couldn't see it like a mirror you could see today. That's why he uses the imagery of a mirror is put yourself in that first century context. You could see yourself faintly, dimly. Not very clear, not like when you're standing in front of somebody face to face and you can now see them clearly. That's the contrast. So I want us to just carefully go over verse 12 and notice it doesn't say anything about going and seeing God. It is just a statement of right now, not clearly Then, clearly. So right now during the partial, it is not seen clearly, but dimly as in a mirror. But then when the perfect comes, it will be clear. Like face to face. That's the simple point he's making. So what is he talking about then? I'm going to submit to you that the picture that is given here is kind of a logical progression. And verse 9 is telling us the partial is a reference to the limited knowledge, limited information about the will of God that the Christians were receiving in the first century. They're receiving partial knowledge through a prophecy, through the gift of knowledge, through the speaking of tongues. Since we are told that in verse 9 That the partial is partial revelations of God The most natural conclusion is that The perfect then is the full revelation of God then we're going to have all of God's information. Now it will be completely revealed to us, no longer in pieces, no longer part by part, not a partial revealing to an apostle here, apostle there, a Christian there in Corinth, a Christian there in Ephesus. It's not going to be that way because now the full revelation of God will be revealed. So what I want to do is just take a step back and just look Does that make sense of the text? Does that make sense of what Paul is saying? So let's reverse back. Let's go back to verse 8. And let's just walk through verse by verse and see if that answer for the perfect makes the most sense. Back in verse 8. So love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Simple point. Stop arguing Corinthians over spiritual gifts because they're all going to be set aside. They're all going to stop. That's what verse 8 is getting at. Verse 9 then simply points out that the gifts are going to end uh, because they only give of partial knowledge We know in part And we prophesy in part But when the full revelation Of God is given You're not going to need Those partial revelations anymore I think those are verses 9 and 10 Are simply saying Right now here's the Apostle Paul Writing to the Corinthians and saying We're getting it piece by piece But when you have the totality of it There's no need for the piece by piece anymore We're not going to need more prophecies. We're not going to need more tongue speaking. We're not going to need more of these gifts because the perfect, the full revelation of God will have been given. And notice now verse 11. So he says verse 11, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. How does that advance the point that he's making? It is fascinating to me the various things the Apostle Paul calls childish or elementary in the Scriptures because you would be surprised at the things he he does to that. And what he's doing here is saying, these... Partial revelations, these spiritual gifts are simply the elementary ways, they're the childish ways, and it's not a derogatory declaration, but just simply to state a more mature way is about to come. The Apostle Paul did that in the Galatians. He refers to the Old Covenant as the elementary ways. It's not a derogatory statement. It's a statement of function. This is what it was. It was the the basics to bring you to maturity in the same way. He's telling these Corinthians, understand the function of these miraculous spiritual gifts. It's just the elementary ways. It's bringing us along until the full revelation of God is given. There will be a maturity, a completion, a perfection of what God has revealed so that we're not going to need more and more revelations. It's all going to be handed to us. That's what makes then verse 12 amazing. When we see the perfect as a description of the full revelation of God, then verse 12 just explodes with an amazing declaration about what is going to take place when all of these spiritual gifts are set aside and the full revelation of God is given. Notice he describes their current condition in verse 12. For now we see in a mere dimly. We're only getting pieces. We're only getting parts. We get a prophecy here and a tongue there and we're getting just pieces of information, little bits at a time. And you can imagine how that would be as these letters are even being written as the Apostle Peter is going to write two letters at some point. Paul is going to write over a dozen letters. We're going to have the Gospels that are going to be written. We're going to have the book of Hebrews be written. We're going to have John, the apostle, write letters. And so all of this is coming out piece by piece. And he's telling them the situation that puts us in is knowing partially, dimly. We don't have all of the pieces. We don't have all of the information yet. But then notice what he says in verse 12. For now we see in a mere dimly, but then, then referring to when the perfect comes, when this full revelation comes, then face to face. So now I know in part. So here's that reference to that partial. I currently have partial knowledge. Partial information is coming. But then look at the rest of verse 12. But then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. And I submit to you that that statement is staggering. Because what he just said was, when the full revelation of God is given, and there's no longer a need for all of these spiritual gifts, and all of God's will has now been unveiled. He says the clarity that you are going to have in understanding God is no longer going to be dim. It's no longer going to be faded. It's no longer going to be, well, I'm not really sure. You will know God with intense clarity is what he says. In fact, he uses it to the extent and says, Then I shall know fully. And he's even as I'm fully known. That is a magnificent declaration about what we are able to learn about God. Once all of the books of Scripture were given by God, revealed to his servants. And they wrote those things down. At that moment, and that moment going forward, there was no greater moment of clarity about God in all of human history. I mean, think about living in the days of Abraham. Or think about living in the days of Moses or think about living in the days of David or Solomon or the prophets. Partial information, partial revealings, Learning a little bit more. Learning a little bit more. And then you come to the first century. And yes, you've got 39 books of Scripture that you're able to look at and see God. But what about this new covenant? And what are all the ins and outs about it? And you're getting piece by piece by piece. Here comes the writer of Hebrews. And here comes Peter's letters. And here comes Paul's letters. And they become all coming together. And now you have the whole will of God. All of God's knowledge that He wants humanity to have now written down, now revealed. That's a staggering moment in history. When now people can learn all of what God would have them to learn of Him. And so what he's describing is when the full revelation of God comes... Those miraculous spiritual gifts will no longer be needed, but the great things that will be needed that will remain, faith, hope, love, these things will continue. The greatest of these is love because as chapter 13 has taught us, without that, we have gain nothing before God, and all of our activities before God are nothing if love is not the motivation. I would like for you now to just reverse your mind all the way back to the very first lesson when we kicked the series off and consider how that fits perfectly to what we learned in Acts chapter 8 and in Romans chapter 1. Remember, we saw in Acts chapter 8 how were miraculous spiritual gifts given? Simon the sorcerer observed it. When the apostles laid their hands on a Christian, they could impart that gift. Paul wrote to the Romans and said, though you're Christians in Rome, I desire to come to you that I can impart to you some spiritual gift. He writes to Timothy and says, I laid my hands on you and that's how you received your gift. The Scriptures are clear that only the apostles could give spiritual gifts by laying their hands on another person and no one else. And consider how that fits this. Because once the apostles received these partials, the parts, and wrote them all down, there would no longer be need for the gifts. So that when they passed away, there was no reason for these gifts to continue on and transfer on and on. Now we have the perfect. Now we have the full revelation of God. And there's no need then to sit in a corner and hope for a new revelation. Or to think in one's mind, God is going to tell me something new, something different, a new message. The perfect has come. The full revelation of God has been revealed. And there's no more parts to come to that picture anymore. What is then I think amazing about all of that is where that puts us today is a simple statement. You and I can fully know God. That's what he just said in verse 12. You can know Him clearly. God has revealed everything we need to know and says that when the perfect comes, this full revelation of God, that will be as clear as can possibly be for us to know and understand God. The reason I think that is staggering is because all too often you hear things and say, well, you know, we just can't move. You know, just scriptures, you know, too hard, too difficult, too confusing, too complex. Just, you know, I can't figure it out. Just, you know, who, who, who can understand these things? And I want us to see that Paul says that it would be the scriptures that would be the means by which any person could know God Clearly. To put it another way, there's no reason for you to know God vaguely. There's no reason for you to go, well, I just don't really know an awful lot. If you will give yourself to the scriptures, you can know God and know his will and know all that he says and know his mind. That's what the scriptures are explaining. I can't wait, get, wait to get to Isaiah 55 and blow up that whole. Well, his ways are higher than our ways, and so we can't know God. That's not what Isaiah said. But that's another sermon. Don't let me go there. Hold that. One day, come. Ah, oh, we get that all wrong. It's not what he said. He said the opposite. He said you can know him. I revealed it. Anyway, that's the point that we have to take away. We can know God clearly. It disturbs me how much the religious world intends, and I believe intends, for people today to believe that they need a spiritual teacher so that they can know God, and you can't do it yourself. You don't need me to know God at all. You can see God clearly if you will just open and read and read and read. And that's why you see, even in the first century, the disciples dedicate themselves to fully knowing God. Why are the Bereans so excellent and virtuous? Every day in the book. Every day. Why would that be so important? Because there's going to be a gold star if you can name 66 books of the Bible one day, you know? No. Because this is the only way to know God. And not only is it the only way to know God, Paul said fully, clearly, all that you need if you will just read it. My encouragement to you, will you know God? And if you want to know God, if you want to know His ways, if you want to know what He's doing in this world, if you want to know what He's accomplishing, read His words, and you will see God clearly. I, I oh man, I just am enjoying reading the Scriptures because every day it's something new. Of wow, it's just amazing. Books you wouldn't think would be amazing. Habakkuk. You go, Habakkuk? That doesn't sound fun at all. Oh, it's amazing. You learn so much about God. And you learn about His faithfulness from a book that's called Habakkuk. It's amazing. Know God. You can see Him clearly. And you don't need anybody else. And what a radical shift that would have been. Because back then in the first century consider there's a congregation and we're waiting for somebody to have a partial. Does anybody have a prophecy today? Does anybody have you know, and God's revealing but now there's no looking around of who's got a message? Here's the message open, read, learn, clearly see. I hope that'll excite you to Bible study that this isn't a pursuit of cloudiness. That you're not reading and going, well, that just didn't do anything. This is clarity. This is seeing God. This is now no longer dimly, but as if it was face to face. Clarity to know, learn, and love your Lord. You pull your songbooks books out and we'll sing an invitation song. And our invitation is to know God. To come to God to learn of His love for you, to see His mercy and grace, that He has revealed all of this with purpose. We serve a mighty God and He knows how to communicate to His creation. He knows how to say it so that His creation can understand. And we live in an unparalleled time that you can have all of the Word of God for free on the Internet or 99 cents at the dollar (laughs) bookstore. We live in an unparalleled time and with great clarity can know everything that God wants us to know. Will you learn the perfect? Will you learn the true, full revelation of God and hear His gospel call? That Jesus is now the King. And He reigns. He is enthroned and rules over heaven and earth. And is calling His creation to turn away from their sins. To confess Him as the King, the Son of God. To give their lives completely to Him. To follow Him and love Him and serve Him. With all of their heart. Because He has died for you and me. Taking away sins. Nailing our responsibility of guilt and debt because of all of our iniquities. Nails those things to the cross and says, you can be forgiven if you'll follow me and serve me. I hope that it just entices you to want to learn more about a glorious God we serve. Will you follow Him today? Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Won't you come now while we stand and while we sing?